to the Word here in, in just a moment. I'm going to preach for just a short amount of time. And then we have a baby dedication that I hope that you can stay for. Amen. But before I, I come to the pulpit and, and bring the Word, I want to bring the Yater back up, back up here. And he's just going to share just a little bit about what God has been doing in his life and what been taking place in his ministry overseas and uh, thank you so much again for sharing and with the, the Bible study this morning what a powerful powerful word of God amen you shared with us this morning and amen just take some time here Amen. It's experiences like this why I'm apostolic. Amen. It's experiences like this, amen, why I've given my life to the Lord. Amen. It's experiences like this that let me know that God is real. Amen. Amen. That he does have the ability to, to deliver and to set free. Amen. And to loose the bonds of captivity. Amen. To set people's feet on the rock. Amen. And give stability in their life. Amen. And I appreciate it, Bishop, for giving me the opportunity to share. Uh, my name is Matt, and, you know, my life is, is crazy. Yes, I'm blind. Um, but to make a long story short, I'm, I wasn't born blind. I actually had a meth lab blow up on me when I was 20 years old. So I lost my sight in the process of a very serious drug addiction. I ended up going to prison in Illinois and, you know, ended up uh, coming back to Indiana and, uh, tried to start over, ended up in jail again for a crime I didn't commit, and uh, was looking at 40 years. And, you know, the, my story is simple. You know, I was looking at all this time, there was no hope, and a couple of preachers walked in through the door one day. Amen. And they prayed with me, and they told my story, I told them my story. And I wish that I could say that the, the gates opened and I walked out of jail the next day like Paul and Silas did. Amen, it didn't work that way, but the thing that did change is that I, I didn't feel like I was alone anymore. Amen, one of those ministers was Dave Stokely. Amen, and I'm just here to tell you that, you know, jail ministry, you know, and reaching for people at the very bottom, at the lowest point of their life, it really does matter. Amen, God steps into those situations when it looks like there's no hope. And that's what happened. And God, I remember I was having Bible studies and in the jail and things like that, and I not because I knew so much about the Bible, but because I knew that I could get someone to read the Bible to me. I'm blind. And my relationship with God began to change and, and grow. And I remember I was like, God, crying one day, God, you know what happened. You know the truth. And there was no one in the cell but me. And I heard an audible voice say, go get the medical records. And when my wife, then wife, uh, went and got those medical records, those medical records contained all kinds of evidence that literally helped me beat the case. And set me free. So I got out and I started coming to those uh, apostolic ministers church at Elkhart Life Tabernacle. And, you know, the long story is, I mean, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. I mean, and I was baptized in Jesus' name. And, and I was married. And, you know, my, you know, things are tough sometimes. And people make, you know, different kinds of decisions. My wife didn't want to have anything to do with me. And didn't want to have anything to do with God. And, you know, so she went a different direction. I stayed in church. Amen. It matters. Amen. I appreciated that word that the Lord spoke to us just a few minutes ago. Amen. Don't run back to the dump heap. Amen. It matters the decisions that you make. 
I stayed in church. And even though I wasn't perfect, I still stayed in church. You know, and a, a few months after I got out of jail, and I'm having all these really cool experiences with God, God spoke to me and he said, I'm calling you to Israel. And he made the statement. He said, like Paul, you're going to go in and out of the Jewish community. And he said, made another statement. He said, I'm going to set you with the bishops in the land. And I had a hard time, whoo, like what in the world are you going to do in my life, God? I'm blind. I don't know how in the world I'm going to work all this out. And I remember telling a friend or two, and they went around telling everybody that I said I was an apostle, and I never said that. But it was a difficult situation. And I had to go in, and I had to deal with pastor, and, you know, pastor's just making sure that I haven't went off, lost my, off the rocker, you know, going crazy. Thank God for great pastors that are going to be willing to have strong and difficult conversations because they're important. Why are they important? Because, you know, here we are 15 years on the other side of that conversation. I have a bachelor's degree from Indiana Bible College. I got a master's degree in Bible uh, from AMBS. I went over to Israel and got a master's degree in Hebrew Bible. I'm working towards a Ph.D. in Bible now. I'm also going to a rabbi school. And, 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 and believe it or not, I had no idea that I was Jewish. And while I was over there through a process, I learned that I have Jewish descent. And because of that, the rabbis were like, hold on a second. Let's see if we can get you going through this process, get you learned what Judaism is, get you connected with your roots. And before I knew it, not only am I learning with the rabbis, but I'm, I'm becoming an Israeli citizen. And it's interesting because I live in, you know, around uh, B'nai Brak, which is the, uh, the epicenter of the ultra-Orthodox faith. I mean, you go to B'nai Brak, everyone there is ultra-Orthodox. And it's crazy because here I am going in and out of the Jewish people. And God has called me. I'm licensed with the United Pentecostal Church. But God didn't call me to Israel to go to school. He called me to Israel to preach. Amen. And I know I'm blind. I know I'm blind. But I like to tell everyone, that didn't stop God from calling me. And it didn't stop me from answering. And one of the things I love about it is, even though I do want to be able to see, is that God uses the, the weak things to show his strength. Amen. And he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Amen. Why is he doing it? Because when God is using me, it's very obvious that what he's doing in my life isn't by my own accord. Amen. He said he was going to do it. He told me 15 years ago all those things, and now all those things have come to pass in my life. And my pastor, who had that difficult conversation all those years ago, now he has no choice but to say, that's exactly what happened. God is doing something incredible. So I went to Israel, and I didn't, there was no missionary then at that time. I learned my way around the airport and learned my way around the hotel, and then I learned my way around the, the, the university. And while I was there at the hotel, I've got this weird guy that's following me around. And... Uh, you know, then I, I had a Braille display that I lost, and I want to tell you a couple stories real quick. And I was certain that I wasn't going to be able to go to school because I read Braille. And I read Hebrew in Braille, and I have to be able to read Braille in order to go to school. And I didn't have this Braille display, and I was sitting on, this, on the outside of the hotel just crying. And some lady walks up to me, and she says, Nate, do you mind if I pray with you? I'm thinking, okay. And she says, okay. And then... And, I, and she goes to sit down beside me, and she says, now, if I start speaking in some weird language, don't be afraid. So she sits down beside me. She starts speaking with tongues, and she jumps back up and stands right in front of me. And she said, you felt the call of God here, didn't you? And I'm like, oh, tears. Oh, God. And she said, God said, he has brought you here, and there's nothing that's going to send me out. 
I'm excited about it, right? But I've got this dude following me. And I wake up every morning, we go have breakfast, and as soon as I walk in the dining room, he's like, Matt, let me get you a cup of coffee. Now, if you know me, I always want to give back. I appreciate the help. And I always want to give back. So I purposed in my heart that I was going to get up and, and have this guy, I was going to make him a cup of coffee. I woke up the next morning, I was there before the restaurant opened. I went in as soon as the doors were open, and I stood there. And as he come in, I was like, David, let me get you a cup of coffee. And he says, Matt. And he ran over and got it before I could even get there. And I sat down, and he brings over the coffee, and we bring her our food. And he leans into me, and he's just real close. And he says, Matt, I've never had anybody ask me to get a cup of coffee. Will you get a cup of coffee for me? And I leaned back into him. I said, yeah, probably because you're an angel. Well, a few months later, I ended up getting uh, my Israeli ID and and all that stuff, and I lost my wallet, and I couldn't find it, man, and my credit cards were in there, I had no access to money, and I'm, God, help me find my wallet, and I did, God, will you help me find that wallet, and as I'm praying, and I feel like God's going to do something, I get out to go, and I called the bank and everyone, no one had found it, I get up to go walk to the bank just to make sure, and I get a phone call, and it's the guys at the, in the rabbi school, and someone, I answered the phone, and and uh, I said, uh, you found my wallet, didn't you? He's like, no, I didn't find it, but I've got it here. And I was like, man, I knew it. How in the world did you find my wallet? He said, I didn't. Some guy named David dropped it off. Now, so it's all kinds of stories like that that I could tell you that God really secured. I haven't had any money. For the last five years, I went, I had $2,000. That's all the money that I had. I wasn't part of the AIM program. God didn't take me that route. If he would have, I wouldn't have been able to become a citizen. When I became a citizen, I had to go through two criminal background checks. When I signed the documentation, they said, have you ever been a trial? I said no. And I told them why is because I always took plea bargains. I was always in trouble. When I went back and they said, well, we don't know what we're going to do. We have to get with the attorneys and what have you. And the rabbi said, take the background check anyway. So I did. And when I got the background check from, uh, from Washington, D.C., it came back with a completely clean criminal record. Twice. There had been no way I'd have been able to become an Israeli citizen with that criminal background. But when God calls, huh? I said, when God calls, amen, amen, that's all he needs is a willing vessel. Amen. You just say yes and follow God and let God do what God's going to do. He's going to make ways where there are no ways. Amen, that's who he is. So I stayed, and I didn't have any money for school. I've been there for five years. I've gotten several scholarships, $250,000 worth of an education I have, completely paid for, free, right? He didn't call me there to go to school. He called me there to preach. I want to tell you one of the story. I'm ministering to a guy named Tal. He's Jewish. And his parents, he's just rejecting everything religious, rejecting everything God. And I'm talking to him about my experiences with God, just like I told you. Why? Because he needs a revelation of God. Right? He needs to know that there's a God who is able to do something in his life. Amen. If he doesn't have that idea, that concept, why should he believe? Amen. So I'm like, I'm, I'm like, fine, man. I'm praying for you, pal. I'm asking God to reveal himself to you the same way supernaturally he did for me. Now, I didn't know this, but Tal was adopted. 
And he told me, he's like, you know, man, a few weeks later, he's like, the thing that I've always wanted is I've always wanted to know who my biological mother was. See, Ty was Russian, and he was a very sick baby, and his mom couldn't afford it, so he, she adopted him out to a Jewish family in the United States. So he was raised until he was a teenager in the United States, and then he moves to Israel. Comes an Israeli citizen and a soldier and, and all that stuff, and here he is. He's, he's in the university now studying to, to be a politician. And he always wanted to know who his mom was because they had no idea. And being in Russia and the way things are there, there was no way he was ever going to find her. And he said, Matt, the craziest thing happened. I ended up having a guy move into my room who happened to be from Russia. And I was like, yeah, tell me more. He said, we had a Shabbat meal, and one of his friends came over. And it was a young girl who happened to be from the same city where I was born. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. He's like, Matt, you ain't going to believe this. She said that she thinks that she could help me. I'm like, well, we'll praise that to God. And then come to find out, guess what? He, this lady knows, her mom knows the judge of that city. So she contacts the judge. The judge contacts the hospital, gets the documentation. Kyle signs it, and then he finds out who his mom is. What's the chances of that? You being born in Russia, then going to the United States, going to college, and then some random dude shows up in the middle of the semester at the university in your room and just happens to have connections to that city. Amen. That's the revelation of God. That's the miracle-working power of God. That's the God I know who shows up in situations and reveals himself, amen, to build a relationship with his people. And there's all kinds of stories I could tell you, but I've got three more minutes left. I need your help. You know, I'm trying to raise money for evangelism. It costs a lot of money to be able to make money in Israel. And, you know, I'm, I just, I'm being used by God over and over. We just started a church. My first church I started in December. It's up. We've got a pastor going. It's just, it's just great. That's just one. The other thing is, is that, you know, I need to be able to survive. I need to be able to live. I need something a little bit more than just a dorm room. I've got kids and things like that. I need to be able to to be able to be there and be able to have what I need so I can give myself to the work of God. And the other thing is, is that we've got projects. We got a half the money for a piano raised. And we're trying to have a piano. We've got three or four churches, and we just don't have the instruments that we need. And it's not easy because in Israel, we have an underground church. And we're trying, doing the best we can, but we need your help. And if you can, if, you, if God puts it on your heart to help out through a partner in missions or uh, some sort of cash donation, would you get with Brother Gilland or Brother Stokely and, and just let God use you in that way? And I promise you, everything will be able to come back together. And it's a, God's pouring out his spirit on all flesh, and it's going to end. The final revival is going to be in Israel. Amen. Would you partner with us in that? In Jesus' name. Amen. In fact, if we could right now, I just, I just felt if we could just take up an offering one more time. I know we've already taken up an offering, but this was to go completely to help the ministry and everything that Brother Yader is doing. You can still partner with him on a monthly basis. Amen. But I want to bless him financially. And if you're not, a, if you don't have cash with you today to be able to uh, be able to give, uh, we have other other ways that you can still give. Uh, and uh, we can 
Uh, if you come and, and meet with us after church, we can figure that out, how to get all that money to Brother Yader. But I want to just bless him with an offering here today, and we can just have our ushers come. Amen. What an important role that he is playing in the kingdom of God and bringing this gospel and preaching in this nation, uh, nation of Israel. Amen. Let's, let's just, just pray. I just, I just want to pray a special prayer. Amen. That God would just come right now. That he would move on somebody's heart. Amen. I believe he's already moved on somebody's heart. Amen. In Jesus' name, Lord, we come to you right now. God, humbly, Lord, we come to you, Lord, believing that the work that you have started, God, is just the beginning. Lord, that what you are doing there in Israel, Lord, that you would uh, open up the understanding, God, that you would, Lord, let revelation uh, just be, be uh, opened up, God, through the ministry of Brother Yader. Lord, I pray that just the, the very small gift, Lord, that we may be able to give, Lord, to advance the kingdom, Lord, across the world. Lord, that uh, you would just use this abundantly, Lord. I pray that you would just bless this right now in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. know that we have, we have let, well, we've just allowed God to move in this service, amen, that the time may be running short, and that's all right, I'm going to keep it very, very short, but I want to just let, uh, amen, God move, and he still has a word for us today, and if you can just open your Bibles, we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22. Verse number 6, Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 6. The writer here says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Amen. Thank you for standing, if you, those who did, and they need to be seated. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Amen. I just want to speak just for a short time here today to families, to parents. We have a baby dedication that we are going to get into in here in just a few moments. But I want to speak to every family, to every parent here for just a little while about the importance of the role that you have. If you are a grandparent, you have grandchildren, you still play a role, perhaps you are a Sunday school teacher here in this church. You play a role in these kids' lives. Whatever it is, if you have inter any interactions with, the ch with children, if maybe you don't have any of yourself that right now that you are raising, you still play a role. Amen. This is a pivotal time that we live in. This is a pivotal time uh, that's, that it is... Uh, that this world is encroaching upon our families and upon our children. It has only been just a few short years since I was in school, but my goodness, it has changed drastically. 
I don't know if it's just because I grew up, the school I went to was a farm school where everybody's coming in and after uh, working out in the farm and the fields or just, just uh, you know, just kind of a little back country, but, but it seems as though the problems that we dealt with were nothing like what students are dealing with today. And I know perhaps that's every generation you, you kind of say that, but I, I know my wife being in the school system, she... She's a high school teacher, and she sees it and tells me about the things, and I still, just working in youth ministry, seeing and hearing about the things that are taking place in our schools. It is such a pivotal time in, in the life of, of, of kids as they come up, and the responsibility for teaching them when they are young lies and rests upon the parents. It rests upon the, every adult that would pour into the lives of these children. You know, there are some things that just can't wait. Some things just can't wait. And that's what I want to talk about just for, uh, just for a, a short while here this morning. That some things can't wait. You know, we, I've, I've heard it said that, you know, I just want to let my children make the decision for themselves. You know that I don't want to. I don't want to make them do anything. You know I don't. I don't want to make them serve God, or else you know it's it's they're doing it just for me. You know, I I I I know and I realize I can't make them serve God, but but it is my responsibility to be the presence, to be the one that is training them, that is bending them, that is molding them to a relationship with God. Came across, I came across a uh, a an interesting phenomenon, not um, or interesting practice of, of humans. Not too long ago, and you know we we human beings, we can be molded, stretched. We can be trimmed, shaped. You know, it's almost like a bonsai tree. You ever see a bonsai tree, and you can you can mold it in all these different ways, and you can keep it. But, you know, it's all these cultural influences that, that come and, and they, they have this way of shaping us into these many different diverse versions of ourselves. And, you know, anyone, if you're, you're a fan of National Geographic or just kind of seeing, you know, the cultures around this world, you have seen these different examples of cultures and subcultures all over our world where these extreme differences of humankind are, are seen. And we can, we can see... Uh, a picture of it here, what this, uh, you know, some of this, these differences, and not, um, this is a, 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 a picture of a skull that comes from an individual in the Eurasian steppe, and uh, if you can hold off on, on some of the other pictures, just, just a moment. These, the, these people of the Eurasian steppe were, you know, there's some tribes from that region that they used to like to practice something known as head binding. It's sort of a counterpart to foot binding that you may have heard about in China, where they would, it was popular in some circles of China, where they would, it was, they, they wanted to keep the foot small, and so they would bind it, and, and they would, uh, you know, have this way so that the foot would develop in a certain way so that it was small. And, and the same thing uh, has has happened across cultures, not just there in the Eurasian steppe in France, uh, in, in ancient France, but 
uh, all over the world and in, in uh, certain uh, Native American tribes, we have seen even cradles that were used and, and they, were, they would shape the head in a certain way. That, and, and the point is that when the skull is pliable, when the person is young, you can shape the head sort of like a bonsai tree. See, the Romans, the Romans, they used to complain that the Huns looked monstrous. You know, reading that or hearing that, you might think, man, these, these Romans, they're, you know, they're really sensitive to seeing some people who look slightly different from them, you know, just look like an Asian, Asian person. But, and, and you might think that until they have, they have uh, dug up some of the skulls of these Huns and this culture, and they had this culture of, of head binding where they would deform the heads of these children, these young children, in such a way when the, when the skull was still pliable. And they would make it so that, uh, that they looked almost monstrous. They did look monstrous. And, and in fact, can you put the next picture up there? You can see some of these heads that are here. These are uh, individuals, or these are skulls that have been dug up that have been. Uh, purposely deformed through head binding. They would form the skulls in these different ways. You can just imagine what that would look like once it has skin and, and hair on it. You know, very different. It's just, it's fascinating to me to know the cultures that have this way of shaping people, you know, sometimes even physically shaping people. I think we have a couple more. There's one more picture. This one was found in Mexico, and you can imagine uh, when people dug this up, there, this wasn't this wasn't the only one. In fact, there were 13 skulls just like this found in a graveyard, and and the the people who dug it up thought that they were finding an alien population, because that's what it looks like. But they had this practice of of head binding. Here is here is an example of those, those native. This is in the Pacific Northwest. These Native American tribes. And this is one of those cradles that was used, and they would have this cradle that would be pressed up against the forehead of the child. In fact, they, uh, they had this practice, not only the forehead, but the back of the head to where it came almost to a point, the top of their head. And in this, it's a very, very interesting culture, cultural thing that they would do. And, you know, these cultures that, that practiced this head binding, I'm sure that they could be easily identified. You know, just looking at these these skulls, you know, it's easily identified. But, but what they, in order to get this, in order to have this, uh, this, this, this skull formed in this way, they had to do it when the child was young. From an early age, they would, they would start this process of, of binding the head. They would start this process of, of pressing this board up against the head so that it would, it would form the skull when it was still pliable into these different shapes, into these different uh, formations. And, 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 and we see the end result of it, the, the, that once that skull would get hard, it would, it would stay in that shape. And you know, this is what that scripture in Proverbs is talking about. Not head binding in particular, but the fact that when you are young, you're pliable. When you're young, this is an opportunity that we cannot wait. Some things 
cannot wait. We cannot wait for, uh, for, for when our child becomes 16 or 18 years old to finally say, all right, it's your choice. What are you going to do? No, we need to begin now. Let's invest in every child. Let's invest. Come on, the families, the families in the church, we must be intentional We must be intentional about what we are allowing into our homes. We must be intentional about what we are allowing to come across uh, iPad screens, computer screens, come on, television screens. We must be intentional about every part, come on, of this, this, what this world is trying to do in shaping our children. It's a psalm. Chapter 78, this, this song here that's written by Asaph, he says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. And he's, he's reaching back to this, this, this uh, law that had been given to Moses. He's reaching back to that and he's saying, hey, listen to this, people. This law, incline your ears to this. Oh, come on, let, your, uh, let the words of my mouth uh, be, be opened up to you again, which we have heard, verse 3, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. These things have been passed down. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob. Come on, He appointed a law in Israel. And when He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. We don't teach it. It's going, it all, all it takes is one generation. All it takes is one generation to not be taught, and then the next generation, where do they go? What, is the, what happens to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation? He says, these things that have been passed down to us, the testimony and the law, come on, all these things, we have heard it from our fathers. Let's not be the generation that allows this to stop. Let's not be the generation that would not pass this down to our children, so that they can pass it down to their children, so they can pass Pass it down to their children. Come on. There are some things that just cannot wait. He didn't say, come on, when they get uh, to a certain age, when they get to 18 years old, 20 years old, then they can make that decision to follow after God. He says, no, teach this to your children. Teach this to your children. In fact, in Deuteronomy 6, 7, it says, thou shalt teach them diligently unto the children. Shalt Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Come on, these things, they must be ev- part of every uh, aspect of your life. Living for God must be something that's not just the thing that's coming out of your mouth or what happens when you're here in this church. But it's every day when you rise up, it's every morning, come on, that you go and, and, you, and you start getting your children up and around for school school or for the day. Come on, every day I'm instructing them. Every day. Church, we must be intentional 
every parent I'm so thankful for, for the, the children that we have in this church and every family that we have in this church. But, and, and we must not, not think that it is, uh, it is uh, not impacting our kids by missing out on, on things when, when God is moving, when, God, when the doors, are, when the church doors are open, well, we need to be here. We need to be here. You need to be here. Because it's not just for you, it's for your kids. It's not just, come on, and, and you say, well, well, we've got all these other things that we want to invest in our family. The greatest investment that you could ever have in your family is right here in these pews. The greatest investment that you could have in your family is right up here in an altar area. Ask the Bovees last week, come on, when Brody's up here praying, come on, and seeking God right after a weekend where we had a Bible school weekend or a, a construction camp for our kids, and he went to bed that night after that construction camp and said, I want to get the Holy Ghost tomorrow. And he came to church believing, I'm going to pray and God's going to fill me with the Holy Ghost. And he came seeking and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. Well, this world is so anti- God. This world is so anti everything that this book here teaches and come on that we ought to believe and instill in our kids. We cannot allow this world to be the ones that are shaping our kids. We cannot allow this world. And if you don't do it, if you don't teach it, the world will. If you don't teach it, then, the, then uh, what they see on YouTube is going to teach them. What they see, come on, on TikTok or Instagram, that's going to teach them. And what you don't teach them, they're going to learn from the world. But let's let something, come on, we need to set a rock that they can set their foot on and say, come on, the world may say this, but my identity is standing on the rock. My parents showed me where the rock is, and I'm thankful that I knew where the rock was from an early age. I'm thankful that I came up on a church pew. Amen. That I knew where the rock was. As I said, we're not going to go long here today, but I just want to end this before we come and, and enter into this time of this, this baby dedication today with just a, a challenge to every father in this place. Joshua chapter 24. You know the scripture. They're standing here. They, Joshua challenges every father. He challenges every household. Because if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Choose you this day. Who you will serve. Because you're going, going to serve somebody. You say... Well, there seems to be too many rules, seems to be too many things that, that are required of me when I serve God. He says, you're going to serve somebody, so just choose this day who you're going to serve. God, yes, there are things that he asks of us, amen, but there is freedom in living in, in, in God. There is freedom in living and serving him. There is freedom in that, but this world, when you say, I'm not going to serve God, but rather I will serve the world, there is bondage. All you're going to find is bondage in the world, and it may look like freedom. It may promise all the freedom, come on, when you first step into it, but there will only be bondage at the end. So choose you this day who you will serve, whether it's the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, okay, the gods that were 
what your father served on the other side of the flood. He's, he's talking about your past. The things of the past, or or the gods of the Amorites. This is the the people that they were just they were just passing through their land. This, this is talking about the, the present, your present right now, where you're at. So if you you can serve those gods, or in whose land you dwell. Uh, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One more scripture. Just this challenge to every father in this place, to every head of the household. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14, as they are building this wall and reconstructing this wall around Jerusalem, there are enemies that are coming against them, that are rising up against them. And Nehemiah turns to the heads of the households and he says, I looked and I rose up and I said to the nobles and to the rulers, to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Great and, and terrible, not, not, not in a bad way, but God, God is great, He's strong, He is able to overcome anything that's coming against you. But this right here at the end of the verse, this is the challenge that I have for you. It says, fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight, fight for your wives. On every, every head of the household, every man that's in this place, fight for your houses. Come on, would we stand up? Would we fight? Would you fight for this? Would you contend for the gospel? Would you understand that we cannot wait until they get old enough to choose for themselves? I'm going to stand up and be the man to say, I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for my brother. I'm fighting for my son, my daughter. I'm fighting for my wife. I'm fighting for my household. I will not let you come on, walk out this door and into a life of sin. I will fight for you. I, come on, that fighting, it's going to look a whole lot like praying because that's where the battle is won. It's one on my knees. It's one on my knees in prayer, but it's also one in conversations that you need to have with your kids, with conversations that you need to have with your spouse. Come on, things that, that you say, come on, I, I, I'm not comfortable with having that, that upfront conversation. You need to have it as a man of God as the head of your household, and talk to them. Come on, this is the day, come on, that God is calling us to rise up and to no longer let the world encroach into our house, into the household, come on, of, of, of the people in this church, of the people, come on, that are trying to serve God, and you're saying, why is this so hard? Come on, are you confronting it before the world ever gets this foothold? Amen. As we begin to set up and chairs up here in the front for this baby dedication. I wonder if we all around this place could just lift up our hands. Amen. I just want to pray. Come on, for every household in this place. Lord, there are those right now, God, who are wondering, God, and, and lamenting, God, the time that they could have had, that they could have invested in their kids. Lord, and this is not, Lord, a, Lord, a, 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 a 
to, to look at them, Lord, and to, Lord, to, to look at that time, Lord, and to, to reflect on that, and, and, uh, Lord, in a way that's, Lord, that we would regret. But, Lord, I pray that right now, Lord, that you would begin a new work in us. Lord, help us, God, to confront, Lord, some things. God, help us to have the wisdom, Lord, to guide our families and our households. Lord, help us to rise up right now, God, to fight the battles that need to be fought. Lord, I pray for every father. I pray for every mother. Lord, I pray, God, that we, Lord, would guide the household. Lord, in such a way that, Lord, that it would, would begin, Lord, to show our children, God, what it means to serve you. God, I pray for every family in this place. Lord, that we would not walk away, God, from the very things that you have given, that you've shown us, and the grace and the love and the mercy that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Praise God. I'm going to invite, I'm going to invite the family of Jonathan and Danielle Alt to come and to join us up here.